Hey friends, my name is Zara, and this is the Daydreaming Rose podcast, in which I talk about folk herbalism, the tarot, trauma-informed magic, as well as politics of healing and small business adventures. Sometimes it's just me sharing rituals and inspiration, and sometimes I have beautiful, like-minded guests on the show. If you would like to learn more about my work, you can visit daydreamingworlds.com for all things magic and sarahmagdalenalove.com for web design and tech support. Feel free to subscribe on iTunes and if you like my podcast, know that a review would really be appreciated. This is just a quick note before we go on to the show to tell you about something new that I'm offering. So in the last couple of weeks, I've done a lot of Becoming Magic readings and really loved expanding them into creating little unique um, rituals for you and while I totally love this work and will continue offering it I also really care about making my work more financially accessible so I've put something together that I called the Roots and Boundaries Ritual Kit which is virtual and you can download it right away so it's meant to be offering you a framework and some inspiration to create a ritual in which you can really ground deeper into yourself and your own boundaries it includes um, an audio intro, an audio on herbal recipes for grounding and boundaries, some ritual ideas, a roots and boundaries tower spread, a guided visualization, some spoken and written journaling prompts, as well as a Spotify playlist. It's $11 and you can find it on daydreamandwolves.com under offerings. And if this isn't affordable to you, um, please just send me a message and I will send you a voucher. Thank you so much and now on to today's show. Hey everyone, as always, I'm saying again that I'm really excited about the person I have on the show today and as always it's true, <laughs> so I really have to come up with something more unique to say but I am just excited, it's a really great guest. So I have Langston Khan with me today. He is a black queer um, shamanic practitioner based in New York and I first came across his work through the Bespoken Bones podcast which I really recommend if you're into um, sexual well-being and ancestral work that's a really beautiful amazing inspiring resource and I've asked um, Langston to be on the show today and he said yes so that's amazing um, I have a bunch of questions and I also feel like a really beautiful time of the year to speak about this ancestral work and healing um, because we're recording this at the end of October so that is my little fangirl intro. <laughs> I'm going to hand over now so that you can introduce yourself. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for that warm welcome, Sarah. It's so good to be on the show with you. Um, yeah, I guess in terms of an introduction, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a, as you said, I'm a Brooklyn, uh, sorry, now a Queens-based shamanic practitioner um, in New York. Uh, and... My work is sort of split into two main modalities. One side of the work that I do is really focused on emotional healing work, mm -hmm. helping people to engage with triggers or trauma or stuck patterns that are popping up in their life and engage with the wisdom of their body to allow them to track those instances to their root where they first started mm -hmm. and then clear it there at the root. So sort of using the discomfort in the moment that they're experiencing their life, life as a breadcrumb trail back to the original um, trauma mm -hmm. so they can then actually clear that, that old stuck pattern there and fully move themselves into present time so their present life is no longer being affected or limited 
by the pain they've experienced in their past. Mm -hmm. And then the other aspect of my work is is the more shamanic side of things, you might say, which is um, focused on engaging with the things that you can't access simply through the body. Mm -hmm. Stuff like um, soul loss, where a part of yourself during a moment of trauma has become lost in space and time, so to speak. And so I'm going into a trance state and moving into the spirit world to retrieve that part of that person Mm -hmm. uh, and explaining to them what age it was when it left and why it left so they can then begin to reintegrate that part of themselves into their life. Mm -hmm. That might include things like ancestral healing, like you were talking about, um, really going to the root of patterns in someone's life that are in the ancestral realms. and clearing and transforming and shifting those so the person can transform those in their own life. Um, And also kind of the miscellaneous categories of whatever is needed to help a person realign with the energy of their purpose that they came here to live on this Mm -hmm. earth. That might include sort of energy healing or um, bringing back helping spirits they're meant to be working with or um, removing intrusive spirits or doing sort of cleansings and work like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, I want to add something that you said on the Bespoken Bones podcast, which is that you believe that no trauma or emotional pain is beyond healing. And I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, I don't say that as a mandate, like, so like, so heal your trauma now or else, you know, <laughs> but I, I sort of say that just because I think often in Western culture, um, if a practitioner or professional doesn't have the tools to help provide healing for something, they are very quick to say, this is unhealable. And I think it's really important for us to empower ourselves to follow the path of our own healing and trust that there is a way we can always be moving back Mm -hmm. more into balance, more into wholeness, more into a feeling of being held in our life and in our body um, that, that, you know, the, the, what that looks like is different for everyone. But, but in my experience, um, there's always some kind of forward movement that's held within our wounds because if they didn't know what healing and wholeness felt like, the wounds wouldn't know what pain felt like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's very true. I needed to hear that this week. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, if that's okay, I would love to go one step back. I loved your um, sharing about your work. And uh, usually the first question I ask my guests is um, where they are in the work with, w- world right now, which you already mentioned. And then my next question w- would be kind of where is what is nature like around you right now? I feel that is really beautiful for people to know kind of where you're grounded at the moment and, and what the trees look like. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Um, Right now, the trees are still green for the most part, even though it's October, because it's been unseasonably warm here. We've kind of been getting August weather in late October, which is kind of scary. Mm, (laughs) But uh, today is the first um, chilly day in a while, so I'm kind of excited about that. It's finally starting to feel like fall. Yeah, cool, thanks. Um, my next question is, I'm wondering, you know, it, um, I, I can imagine that some listeners will um, feel really inspired by what you just said. And, um, you know, depending on where they're at in their life right now, sometimes I, I know that for myself is true. feels really hard to imagine how someone can come to do this work. 
um, and it feels really far away, you know? So I would love to know what kind of your first experience with um, spirituality and healing was and when you knew that this would become such an important part of your journey. Mm. So I had a lot of experiences with spirituality fairly early on because my dad is a Zen Buddhist priest mm -hmm. and my mother is a fairly gifted uh, healer. Mm -hmm. um, and But I think the first moment I remember really consciously choosing spirituality in a sense um, was my parents were lo looking for some kind of religion for us to be a part of my sister and I because they, they wanted, they knew they wanted us to have some way of connecting in community mm -hmm. with the divine. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were going to these different churches and different organizations and looking for something that felt right for us as a family at the time. And they really wanted my sister and I to be in charge of guiding what we enjoyed, which I think was really wonderful. Yeah. Um, and where we settled on was a Unitarian church. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really a wonderful place. It was where some of my first exposure to paganism was actually, because there was like a women's wisdom circle that led a big, beautiful Yule ritual mm. uh, every year. And so that was when I first began to feel like what that could, that could be like, um, which is really important for me. But also even more importantly, they had like two or three different Sunday school classes that kids could choose from. Um, which I think is kind of amazing. I'm not sure how they were supporting all that. Um, but uh, what the one that I chose, I remember being so clear about this, was called Honoring Our Mother Earth. Mm. And it was a class taught by this um, woman who guided little kids in sort of basic shamanic practices. Like we were drawing medicine cards to see what our animal was. We were making little medicine wheels for those animals. Um, we were learning like songs about the earth, sort of like pagan chants and stuff like that mm -hmm. and doing guided visualizations and meditations. And that for me, I, I lost it later on for a period of time, but that was my first real connection to, oh, wow, there's this different way of engaging with the numinous that's very grounded yeah. in the earth here and now yeah, and not something separate. Yeah, amazing. I'm really glad you had that experience. Um, yeah, I wish I could say the same for myself. That's amazing. Well done for your parents. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> my next question would be, you know, you mentioned you kind of lost touch with these practices for some time. And I can, of, of course, also relate to that. So I'm wondering, currently, kind of what are your most favorite or most treasured um, spiritual or and or it might be the same self-care practices that kind of keep you engaged and uh, and close to that experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I realized I didn't answer one other part of your other question, oh, which was okay. about, um, so when did I know it would become such a central oh, yeah. part of my path? Yeah. And so just to go back to that for a moment, because mm -hmm. I think it ties in with these, this question as well, is um, I found Wicca later on partly probably because of those early experiences with the Women's Wisdom Circle in the Unitarian Church. Mm -hmm. And um, I started a little coven with my friends. And what I found there was just this sense of connection to some, again, that connection to the numinous that felt kind of subtle, kind of like um, 
I wasn't even sure if I necessarily believed it existed at that time. I knew it felt important to me. It felt true. But there was still so much doubt around mm-hmm. as well. Um, because, you know, as we get older, we do lose touch with these things a bit. Like I, when I was little, my parents would find me just talking to invisible people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Some of whom are helping spirits now, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but as you get older, it's especially in a, you know, Western materialist culture, it's very hard to uh, maintain that. So I had somehow preserved this sense of magic as something that was real and mm-hmm. true. But I, at the same time, didn't really have visceral, clear experiences of it um, in my own life. So it was almost, it almost became like a religion for me in the sense that I believe this thing to be true, but I didn't have a visceral felt experience of it. Yeah. Uh, so I was always drawn to these sort of... Um, I never know how to say this word, quixotic characters, <laughs> yeah. like um, you know, Don Quixote or like other type of other similar characters who have this vision that they feel pulling them forward. And it's completely different than what the world tells them is possible around them. Mm. And, and they might be even misguided in some aspects of it, but it still carries them along on this journey. I've always really resonated with characters like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very much my experience. So, Wicca was one of the places I began to find, rekindle that connection. And then um, I practiced a little more seriously after college. Because for many of my friends, uh, witchcraft had just been like an identity for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of fell away as they got older. Um, but for me, it was an identity. But I realized I also wanted it to be a grounded practice. Yeah. So I began to seek out a teacher who could help me make that transition and really actually seriously approach um, these tools and techniques and, and, and way of being in the world. Yeah. Um, and you know, I won't go too in, in depth into that, but um, that was very transformative for me and really opened up this floodgate of, oh my God, there's a whole world and ecology out here of different traditions and ways of engaging with the spirit world that, that all have different aspects of truth and, and different strengths and weaknesses. And I began exploring a lot of different traditions at that time, shortly after college. Like, mm-hmm. you know, one week and going to like a Northern tradition pagan house, the next exploring African diaspora traditions and engaging with like Zulu Sangomas and mm-hmm. uh, part of Sweat Lodge communities. Like it was just like suddenly there was this opening and all these people started coming into my life and I started seeking out these things as well very actively. Yeah. Um, but after a while, um, the more I moved into witchcraft being less of an identity for me and more of a practice, mm-hmm. the more that I started having these initiatory experiences outside of my time with my coven, um, through dreams, through coincidences, through through strange, you know, waking visions, um, and it started to feel like Wicca was my religion, and my spiritual life was happening somewhere else. Yeah. So I eventually did leave my coven, um, and what I realized as I was leaving, also sort of happening parallel at the same time as I was engaging in these initiatory experiences and starting to really take seriously my own healing process, um, what I realized was that I was really, what had always driven me to these traditions was not just 
the love of magic and the numinous and ecstasy, but a real pain around the suffering I saw my friends in. Mm. Um, like the people I was always drawn to throughout my life were people who were often like intensely creative um, and fun and, and funny, but they were self-medicating. They had various types of mental challenges. Mm. Um, they were, you know, self-harming in different ways um, and just really struggling with being in the world, in a mm. sense, of being a human being. And the people that I didn't see struggling that way, I was much less interested in because they just seemed, it's, it seemed like they were fitting in really well with a kind of sick system, in a sense, you know? Um, and so that... I realized what I really wanted to know is why is this? Why is it that I see my friends in so much pain mm. and none of the adults in my life seem to have any answers, not even professionals like psychotherapists in my life at the time seem to have, because my, my dad is also a psychotherapist, mm. um, seem to have answers for them or seem to really be able to help them. Mm. And, and the adults seem to be in a lot of pain as well <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I, I, the first place I really started to find answers to those questions was through um, one of my primary teachers, Christina Pratt, and her podcast, Why Shamanism Now, mm -hmm. where she was talking a lot about um, how what happens when, as a culture, we stop tending birth. We stop reminding children um, you know, before they come here um, asking them what they need, you know, through, through trans states and, and preparing the way for them to come and, and understanding what purpose and gifts they're bringing to the community to share so we can support them in bringing those gifts to the community. Yeah. When we stop initiating um, children into adulthood formally so they can drop the baggage of their childhood and, and again, step back even more into that energy of purpose. When we stop tending death, and helping people to move on in a good way. And if they haven't moved on in a good way, then um, supporting them in, 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 as a community and as an individual spirit in clearing and cleansing those patterns that are keeping them stuck. Yeah. Um, and just just seeing that, and when we forget ritual, like when we, when we lose all these things, I, essentially, I think this is what happens. These, this rising rates of, you know, mental unwellness every year. Um, you know, just people feeling a sense of disconnection and meaninglessness often in their life. And uh, just the intense focus on consumption for the sake of consumption. Yeah. So this isn't to idealize um, indigenous cultures uh, as some, like, you know, perfect system. Mm -hmm. But they did manage to last on this earth in balance and harmony with the earth a lot longer mm -hmm. than we have using our modern Western scientific materialist principles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> About 200 years, you've undone a lot, a lot, a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I think what we're being tasked with, in a sense, and I guess what really made me realize this was going to be a central part of my path, is that I felt personally tasked with figuring out how do we, as a people, um, as you know, Western contemporary people, how do we learn to find our way back to some of these important parts of being human that allow us to be human in, in co-creation with the spirit world and with the earth in a good way, um, while also 
not trying to regress or, or, or go back to some imaginary idyllic state? Like, how do we really bring forward what we've learned from all that we've done, the good and the bad, and weave that together with these older ways of being in the world that are really tried and true and tested um, to find, you know, more balance? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, can we come back to um, the question of self-care practices and maybe can you tell us a little bit more on a day-to-day -day basis what that looks like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, a little lost there. So, um, <laughs> so many good, I mean, lots of deep shit questions, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, so with self-care practices, um, on a daily basis, a lot of my work is starting out at my ancestor altar. That's really important to me. That's like the probably the one thing that no matter what's going on in my day, I will find time to do that. Mm. Um, and that took time. You know, I don't necessarily advocate that that's everyone's first self-care practice, but that, because it first took for me really cultivating a healthy relationship with my ancestors before I felt the influx of energy and love and intention and focus for my day that I get now mm -hmm. from that author practice. At the beginning, it kind of just felt like a burden and an obligation because there were so many um, distorted patterns that were kind of weighing that relationship down. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, to about the self-care, I, I start just praying to my ancestor helping spirits. Um, we have a prayer in my shamanic community that goes, um, I ask that all that is good come to me so I'm supported in my own goodness. I ask that all that is true come to me so I feel my truth and have the courage to live it. I ask that all that is beautiful come to me so I have the power to create beauty in the world. And I ask that all that is wise come to me so I gain from the wisdom of those who have gone before me. Mm. And so I start with making some offerings that my ancestors like um, and say that prayer. And then it gets a little more loose depending on the day. Some days I'm, you know, talking about my life, talking about what I'm going to be doing that day, asking for help and guidance. Some days I'm just opening up and listening to what they have to say to me right now. Um, but that really helps me orient myself for the day. Mm. Then after that, it really depends on if it's a day that I'm seeing clients or not. Um, because especially clients for shamanic journeying work. Because then my... Um, self-care practices have to get a lot more um, thorough in a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so what that might look like is doing an altar practice that is at my main altar that kind of holds my whole cosmology mm -hmm. in it and really calling in the energies that I'm wanting to engage with for the day. So I'm not just stuck with the energies everyone else has called in. Um, and really putting myself firmly at the center of that altar. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel held by all the directions and all my helping spirits and all the elements. Um, and seeing if they have guidance for me for the day. Um, and making offerings to my helping spirits and talking to them. Because um, I have a lot of my sh shrines around my house that I'm tending mm -hmm. at different times. Um, and outside of tending spirit relationships, also... Um, Energy practice is really important for me. I've been doing a lot of uh, Qigong, especially in the last uh, year, um, which is a Taoist form of energy management. 
that really focuses on allowing sort of nature and the natural flow of things to teach us how to move our own energy in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a Qigong practice. I also um, exercise. It's really important to me, daily exercise, like something a little more strenuous, like like intense aerobic exercise or weightlifting, just because, you know, if I have a full client day, I might be spending uh, a large part of my day either sitting in a chair or literally lying down with my eyes closed as I'm in trance. So <laughs> if I'm not having some intense, vigorous physical movement that really moves my blood and moves my body and makes me sweat in my day, um, that just can get very taxing on my body. And also, I'm not as good when I don't do that because um, it's hard to for your body, I think, to feel safe really allowing yourself to go deep in that way into trance when it doesn't know you're also going to move it and, yeah. and bring it to expression. It's kind of that sort of complementary dualism, yin and yang kind of thing. You need both aspects. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the, the core practice of self-care that I have is the emotional clearing techniques that I um, my techniques are a combination of what I learned from inner relationship focusing and, and also what I learned from Christina Pratt through the cycle teaching um, which involve again that sense of tracking my whatever triggers are popping up or whatever's going on in my energy body at the moment and allowing the wisdom of my body to guide me in clearing those at the root. Mm-hmm. And so that might involve me, you know, talking to my, it, it might involve me doing that on my own mm-hmm. or also doing that once a week at least with um, other people in my community that support me in that process and I support them. So I have that larger container to process whatever's going on for me. Mm-hmm. And I find that's really important um, especially when I started doing um, working as a shamanic practitioner full time, because so often I just find the more you do that work, the faster life expects you to engage with it as a teacher, Mm -hmm. the faster you're expected to notice when patterns are popping up and deal with those patterns instead of waiting for a long time because they blow up in your face pretty quick when you're trying to help other people through transformational processes and hold a good container for their work. Um, so often I find clients reflecting back to me um, issues that I'm currently facing in my life mm-hmm. and needing to really work through those patterns myself and, and pay attention um, so I can be clear and show up for them. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that you said um, you have an altar that kind of holds your whole cosmology. That is very impressive. <laughs> I would love to see what that looks like. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's, you know, it can be very simple. It's, it's not that complex. Um, my current altar, you know, it's evolved and changed as altars do over the years, but yeah. my current altar is just a table or a dresser that has um, four candles, which yeah. represent the four directions and four elements in my cosmology. There's a plant at the center, and there's different medicine objects in each direction, mm-hmm. which hold different energies for me that I might want to call in at different times throughout my day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I say it has my whole cosmology on it, that's what I mean, that yeah. it has different representations of the energies I work with mm-hmm. in each aspect of my cosmology, 
and it, and it has those major sort of quadrants of the cosmology of the directions and the elements. Yeah, yeah. So I can use that as sort of a manifestation tool as well mm-hmm. in my day. Like if I know today I'm really working on holding the intention of clarity. Like I've been confused about some things. I really need to sort of pierce whatever fog of confusion I felt I've been in. I might put that object that holds the energy of clarity for me at the center of that altar. So I'm communicating really clearly to the spirit world, this is what I need help with this day. This is what I'm focused on. Mm. Yeah. Can you tell me, uh, maybe tell us a little bit more about inner relationship focusing as well and what that, that, what that means to you? Absolutely. Um, so inner relationship focusing is a technique that was developed by Anne Weiser Cornell. Mm-hmm. Um, and before her, uh, focusing was developed by Eugene Gemlin, who is a psychotherapist who, after observing many different therapeutic sessions, um, doing this really incredible research, he realized that a client's ability to create lasting positive change in a therapy session depended on their ability to access a nonverbal bodily feel Mm -hmm. of the issues that have brought them into therapy. Mm -hmm. And he called this the felt sense. And I see a lot of people using the word felt sense without realizing that Eugene Gendlin coined that term Mm -hmm. Um, because it's become, it's almost moved into the collective consciousness now. Um, But, but so focusing and subsequently inner relationship focusing are both, um, centered on helping us to connect with that felt sense in the body that that sort of vague pre-verbal beyond word sense of something that wisdom that our body holds and find ways of engaging with that felt sense to allow it to open and share with us its wisdom mm. yeah amazing um, I tried to kind of create beautiful bridges to the next question, but I'm not sure it really works with this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, what advice would you give someone who's really just starting out and maybe listening to this and feels really ex- inspired but doesn't really know kind of where to start and wants to maybe work with trauma, maybe mid-ancestors or both, but but yeah, where to start? What do you think is a good idea for people to do? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. I think it's really different for everyone. Um, but one thing that can help point us the way is our life. You know, what is the specific trauma that you've experienced or the specific um, patterns you're noticing in your life right now that either are most exciting you, making you feel most curious and passionate about it, them, or the things that are most making you feel frustrated and stuck. And really starting there with your own life and allowing that to guide you in what you choose to pursue. I think often people want to jump or leap ahead to like intense spiritual contact or, um, you know, identifying as a teacher or healer very quickly. And I think this, that's a very quick way to strangle the life out of our spirituality and, and create a lot of new problems for ourselves in addition to the ones we're already facing. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't say that in any judgmental way. I think, you know, it's, it's a natural inclination in, in the culture we're in to, to move into that because there is so much pressure to only do something if you can in some way eventually turn it into a source of income. Mm. Um, but what I would suggest is that 
you know, one thing one of my helping one of my helping spirits said to me was that I was uh, just a little overwhelmed. This was like maybe like five years ago or something. I was overwhelmed with all of the options available to me of the different healing modalities that I could choose to learn or engage in. Yeah. And what helping spirit said to me is, you know, because because I knew I was being guided to do some kind of healing work at that time, but I didn't. I had no idea what. And so they said, really look at what has helped you, mm. what has actually brought healing in your life, and begin to pursue that and train in that modality, whatever it is, first. Mm. Because we can't, you know, lead where we haven't followed. Yeah. So I really, I guess I suggest that you find a modality or way of working that feels like it's beginning to address some of the current challenges or issues that you're facing in your life. Um, and again, that's going to be different for everyone. Uh, but rather than approaching spiritual life as a kind of escape, really a first approach it as a way to engage with a different perspective with the challenges you're currently facing to allow your spirituality to deepen your intimacy with your life rather than be an escape from it. Mm. And I guess, you know, if I was going to give one small practice that would be good for probably anyone, it's grounding. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people hate that advice because it can seem kind of boring and it can seem <laughs> kind of vague uh, as to what you're actually being asked to do at first. Um, but I would say grounding uh, can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but for the most part, it's something that anchors you in your body and then through your body anchors you into the earth mm. and the energy of the earth, wisdom of the earth, the nourishment of the earth. Yeah. So there's different Taoist forms you can do for that. Yoga can help with grounding. Um, meditation can help a lot with grounding. But just taking on some practice that allows you to rest into your body mm. just as it is in the present moment. I think that's a really strong foundation for anyone wanting to engage in a spiritual practice. Yeah. Uh, and the other aspect of that that's maybe a little more fun <laughs> is uh, shamanic journeying. For me, that was a big game changer because it's a place to begin to cultivate an intimate relationship with divinity and the spirit world um, that's not relying on anybody except yourself mm. to, to engage in it, which I think is really powerful and can be really life-changing. Um, and so I actually, on my blog, I have a um, little post uh, about how to start shamanic journey, mm -hmm. um, if, you, if that's something that interests people. And I also included in that post uh, a list of podcasts from Why Shamanism Now that I think are really helpful resources when you're starting a shamanic journey practice. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I will definitely listen. I hadn't heard about the podcast before and podcasts at the moment are a really primary source of inspiration for me. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, there is something really special about just connecting with someone on this level of voice and, yeah. and audio. It's yeah, a little different than, than reading a book. Totally. Yeah. And I love that there's so little else going on that we don't need visuals as well. And, you mm. know, you can take that podcast into a really private space you don't have to leave the house which is 
you know, that, that can be great sometimes, but yeah. Yay for podcasts. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's almost like the modern oral tradition I find. Like yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, um, finding ways of transferring wisdom to each other. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, speaking of um, inspiring things, what do you feel is inspiring you the most at the moment? That's a great question. I think I've been really inspired lately by meeting people who are committed to leadership in service of their communities mm -hmm. and community visions, mm -hmm. visions that are bigger than themselves, bigger than anything one person could completely bring into the world. Yeah. Um, and that's something, you know, that, that I do that's very important to me. Um, I'm my, so the last mask community is a shamanic community I'm part of, which also supports the shamanic teachings I moved through. And I'm on the leadership council of that community. Mm -hmm. And the whole community is volunteers that have come together to help bring forward this vision of what it might look like to live as a non-local community that's engaging with indigenous beliefs and principles. Yeah. Um, and so that's been a big part of my life. And I think I'm, I find myself really inspired when I'm seeing people do, doing it on the local, um, in-person level as well. Mm -hmm. um, and really, like for example, I have uh, one friend who is um, part of the Hip Hop Dance Conservatory. Mm -hmm. And they're doing really beautiful work. Um, I won't go too deep into this, don't want to sidetrack too much, but um, what really inspired me about them is they're really a dancers as whole human beings in a way that much of the dance world does not. Mm -hmm. um, much of the dance world seems to approach them just as people who can be sort of used and then tossed away in a sense when they get too old. Yeah. Um, they're really looking at education. How do we train the mind of a dancer? How do we train the body of a dancer? How do we... Um, train like nutrition and physical well-being of a dancer um and what they're doing is things like community food programs similar to what the black panthers did um making this thing called dance mart where anyone can come and get supplemental groceries for their week mm. uh, also learn like a cooking demonstration to make a nutritional meal yeah. um groceries that they bought and and i just see i guess it's what i'm getting to with this example is I'm really inspired by people who are showing up without worrying about, you know, money being the primary goal mm -hmm. to serve a vision that's bigger than themselves that really is the change they're wanting to see in the world. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's great. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to overstretch your time, but I would love to ask you one more question. Um, and that would be, can you, um, can you maybe share with us what your hope and your visions and your dreams for our collective healing at the moment are? Absolutely. Um, I guess it's, it's a very much to do with what I was speaking about before, that I would love if we were able to bring forward and bring back, and some people are already doing this, um, ways of tending birth, initiation, and death collectively as a culture, mm -hmm. and really respecting that as a value and something that's needed. Um, not Because 
you know, for so many thousands of years, humans understood that that was needed. And I think it's a little arrogant to think that somehow we've evolved past those things being important. Yeah. And I think it's a lot easier now that we see so much crumbling around us to see, wait a second, something's missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, maybe it was in the past when it was easier to keep up the illusion of it that everything was fine going on as business as usual. Yeah. Um, so that's one of my dreams. Um, another thing is that, well, th- there was something um, Alicia Garza, who was one of the co-creators of the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. um, said, I was at the Allied Media Conference, and she delivered a keynote speech. And one part of her speech really struck with me, which was that um, we must commit to organizing in a way that transforms us. Mm. We must build a movement across difference for the sake of our collective transformation. We must build movements that restore humanity to all of us, even those of us who have been inhumane. Mm. Movements are the places where people are called to be transformed in the service of their own liberation and the liberation of others. And that just really stuck with me because, um, I keep it by my desk because I think that's what's being required of us at this time, that as we work to create change in our own little spheres, you know, and everyone does that in different ways in their life, as we work to bring our own unique medicine out into the world, Mm-hmm. We're being asked to understand that's going to require us to transform. And that's also going to mean that we have to recognize that we're all transforming yeah. and that no one is expendable. No one should just be sort of like, you know, tossed aside or thought of as evil or, or mm-hmm. can never be helped. You know, that we really that we're going to essentially as one of the things my teacher likes to say is that we will do this together or not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my vision is that we can all learn skills that allow us to do that important work of withdrawing our projections and engaging with our lives as a teacher and engaging with healing, bringing healing to um, the trauma of our past so we can come back together, even with people who might have wounded us in the past or represent peoples who have wounded us historically mm-hmm. in a way that allows us to work together to create a new future. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's beautiful. <clears throat> Finally, I would love to know um, if, if people are listening and they feel really inspired, would like to learn more about you, how can they work with you currently? What are you offering and where can people find you? Um, right now, I, the next thing I'm offering is the Healing Your Triggers class in February. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can find me at occupy-your-heart.com, mm-hmm. um, and you can sign up for the mailing list there. And there's a uh, ebook on creating healthy boundaries, which you get if you sign up for the mailing list, mm-hmm. which you might be interested in. But um, essentially, healing your triggers is a five-week class on using some of these emotional clearing techniques I've been talking about. Uh, both on your own and in partnership with others outside of class that like partnership with other members of the class. Um, and you learn to embody these skills in a way that you can take them into your life, that you can learn to bring compassionate curiosity and presence to the stuck places and challenges inside of yourself and begin to really do that work of clearing them at the roots. They no longer affect your present experience. Yeah. That sounds amazing. 
And can people work with you one-on-one -on -one as well? Is that possible over distance? Yes, they can. Um, so people can work with me both in person or over a distance. Um, and I don't find that there's, you know, there's some differences in, in pros and cons to, to both ways of working, but um, both ways are equally powerful, I find. And yeah. so people can, through my website, they can book a consultation with me mm -hmm. for a shamanic healing session, which is free. Um, and how that works generally is that once we have a conversation about what they're wanting to shift or transform in their life at this time, then I will go into trance afterwards, apart from the person, and enter into the spirit world and see what my happy spirits have to say about that and, and bring healing to wherever it's needed mm -hmm. and their transformational process. And then we'll have another conversation afterwards when I send them the recording of the healing session where they can describe to me their experience of it and I can share with them sort of detailed follow-up steps for integrating mm -hmm. whatever healing happened during the session. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that sounds great. For the emotional clearing work, that's uh, one that's one-on-one, -on -one, that's live. Uh, we can do over either Skype or Google Hangout or via the phone. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Are there any um, social media um, channels that you enjoy and where people can connect with you as well? Sure. On Instagram, I am at Occupy Your Heart. Mm -hmm. um, and on Facebook, you're welcome to uh, friend me or check me out. I have a Facebook page for Occupy Your Heart, and mm -hmm. I'm also on Facebook as LinkedIn. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time as well and for sharing from your heart and for being here and for everything that you're doing in the world. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. This is wonderful. Thank you. Bye. Bye.